And if you think the only legend that's good is starring Tom Cruise, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe, that is Dan, that is Jeff. Why are we talking about Savior Machine? I thought we were uh, doing the Cannibal Corpse episode revisited. The part that's not censored for YouTube? No, I just I just loved it so fucking much, I wanted to do it again. <laughs> Cannibal Corpse has released six albums since we did that episode last week. <laughs> Entirely possible. <laughs> oh, and they fired Corpse Grinder and Barnes is back in the band now. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> no, I'm not interested anymore. <laughs> this actually might be the first gothic band we've talked about on the show. We just talked about Virgin Black like three weeks ago. I stand corrected. So one of our uh, listeners, Mr. George Rivera, uh, requested Save Your Machine. And if you'd like to request a band, too, you can definitely hit us up via email, show at gmail.com, and we will uh, take a listen and decide whether we want to cover that band or not. Okay, well, I'm telling everybody right now, you need to uh, let us know what you want as long as it's November's Doom, because I really want to do that episode. What a democracy we have going on here. (laughs) No, I would say pretty much up to this point, we've accepted and covered most of the listener submissions so far if we haven't gotten to a band you've suggested yet trust me they're on the list the goal is eventually to get to everybody i mean poor george asked us to talk about savior machine like six months ago and i was like dude, it was on the list i'm like dude it's on the list we're gonna get to it in like six months to two years <laughs> something like that when george asked us to talk about savior machine i decided to take a page from our good friend lauren kozlowski from the roach coach podcast and i asked him to write us an email just telling us what he loves about the band when he saw the band the first time and what is it about savior machine that makes them his favorite band and uh this was his response uh george writes i first heard carnival of souls from savior machine one in august of 1993 when the album was released After that song finished, I was hooked. The band's look in the photos in the CD and the Savior Machine 1 album cover intrigued me. However, when I heard the music to Carnival, I knew Savior Machine were unlike anything I'd ever heard before or since. Nobody has ever come close in Christian music. At Cornerstone 2001, no question, it was my first and only time seeing them live. It was the best show that covered their entire career. They had just released Legend Part three one at the festival the day of the show i had to stand on a folding chair for the entire show almost three hours to get the pictures that i have as an extra bonus years later i happened to receive a cdr audio copy of the show recorded from the board got it from a guy who had it along with several other rare savior machine shows on cdr and dvdr in addition eric's lyrics and writing style have kept my interest as a fan after 25 years Getting to know him on a personal level as a friend over the last 17 years since I met him at Cornerstone has really been cool as well. I don't know him as well as some do, but I still treasure our friendship. I'm glad Eric and the rest of the band are back together and making new music. They have definitely been missed. Well, thank you so much, George. Thank you very much. George actually established uh, several years ago a online community called Christian Rock and Metal Fellowship. And uh, I'll throw a link in the uh, show notes if that's something that you're interested in. Do they feature Jesus and the Flaming Tacos? They don't. That's uh, that's some pretty obscure stuff, Joe. I mean, I still have it. Can I get a copy of that? No. He has to be superior to you in somehow, some way, and that's how he's going to do it. It's the only le- it's the only reason I get Joe to do any work for us at all. Is he's like, man, I really don't want to edit all of your guys' bullshit for three hours. Yeah, but Joe, I'll burn you a copy of Jesus and the Flaming Tacos. <laughs> well, okay, but you have to do it this time. That was 88 episodes ago. <laughs> wow, we made it to 89. 100's coming around the corner. Coming around the corner. We have plans got, for that yet? I got some cool stuff lined up. Hey, whenever I say NJ, I want you to know I'm not talking about New Jersey. Well, before we start talking about New Jersey, I want to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, you can find everything Discography Discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We are on Spotify. 
Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion Podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening, and now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. We love five-star reviews here on Discography Discussion, and the reason we like them is they make us feel good inside. Warm and gooey. Like a like Fuzzy. a half like a half melted piece of Halloween candy that I'm still. Oh, going I was going to say like melting cake. Mm. Yeah, it is. It, it makes me feel warm and gooey inside. But the best part about ratings and reviews is that it gives people confidence that our podcast is actually a real thing that people listen to, which allows algorithms to pick us up and recommend us to other people that might be interested in what we're doing. So in a lot of ways, giving us a review or a rating is the best thing you can do to help out a podcast. Yeah, that means you also get to eventually get more content. And get tons more content, man. If you want to pay $1 on Patreon right now, you can get more content right now. Yeah. I, I mean, how many Patreon episodes have we released so far? 25 and counting, with 21 at least to come from you. Yeah, and can I, can I please just take a moment to shout out some of our most loyal patrons, including Alexander, Jake Barrett, and Jeffrey Santos. The actual are, Mac. These guys are amazing. They are all about what we do here on Discography Discussion, and they get all of the inside scoop on everything we're doing. A lot of these guys I talk to on a regular basis on Messenger, and... Um, we really couldn't do this without you guys, so we really appreciate it. For all of our other patrons that are supporting us at the $1 tier, thank you very much. It is absolutely appreciated, and we hope you're enjoying those single album reviews. So, guys, we did a Cannibal Corpse episode. Finally! It was magic. It was majestic. There was a lot of beeping. Yeah, I'll try better not to fart during the episodes. We were edited. Oh, that. Yes, I feel that very. Too. I feel very violated by how edited i was <laughs> yeah, i thought we were like in a free country yeah but we were definitely edited by the man yeah we are in joe's studio so he or kinda... the machine that being said joe's a machine which is the only time i'm gonna say that on this episode <laughs> we got, got him some, trained we got some <laughs> listener feedback uh melissa from the good evening kitties podcast commented nothing says i'm a professional like meat hook sodomy which is a quote from Jeff. Oh. <laughs> and that was fun. My partner in crime, Mr. John Beatty from John's Untitled Podcast, also commented, sometimes you cover bands that I'm just too overwhelmed to even dive into, given how much of a catalog the band has. This is one of those bands. I hate Chris Barnes as a vocalist. Is it safe to say that Chris Barnes is the mushroom head of death metal? I enjoy George wow. Fisher <laughs> on Josta's podcast and feel like that's a dude who can be corpse grinder for the band, but is just a dude who loves claw crane games and doesn't take himself too seriously. Some of the music in the background for the more recent albums swayed me to check out some of those tunes. Not saying I'm a new fan, but I now know what albums to stay away from. So thank you for doing Satan's gory work for me. John, <laughs> literally, buddy, I would do anything for you. Including listening to tons and tons of Cannibal Corpse and Mushroom Head. <laughs> oh, Mushroom Head, that was probably a chore for you guys. I'm I have to admit that I don't I don't feel bad for missing that one. <laughs> hey guys, can't wait to come back to the podcast. Who are we talking about this week? Um that's Mushroom Head, Jeff. Oh, I got some shit I gotta go do. Yeah, I don't think it was too far from that. <laughs> that I gotta go do. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's kinda how that shit went down. Oh no. <laughs> it was genuinely a pleasure doing the Cannibal Corpse episode, and the listen that week didn't expect that to happen. But this week, it's Save Your Machine. Save Your Machine. So, Dan. Just save them. Tell me about Save Your Machine. They oh, suck. Oh, man. <laughs> Will that be your final thought, Jeff? I think it was just done. No, episode they, over. Get out of my <laughs> house. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So, Savior Machine is a Christian gothic metal band who started in 1989. They released a demo, but the first album that most people know from Savior Machine is their I guess it's self-titled if you throw a 1 after the name of your band, right? Cuz the first album's literally just called Savior Machine 1. 
1993, I believe. This caught me off guard on first listen. I got a Bowie vibe out of it with a little bit of New Wave. Total Bowie, New Wave vibe, a bit of uh, symphonic elements mixed in. I dug it. I really, really like it. But then again, I'm a huge dork when it comes to New Wave. Like, that's my shit. Like, if I'm not listening to metal, there's a high probability that New Wave is being pumped out of my speakers. My only real complaint with this album is the constant wankery that is the, I'm going to call it lead guitar. There is something unpleasant to constantly playing high notes on the guitar like a sloppy lead guitarist. As a musician, that pulled me out of it a little bit, but I got a little used to it and I started to ignore it. And I actually like this record. 1993, you could have told me this was 87 and probably got away with it. This was a cool listen for me because when I first got into like Christian metal, like that's all I was allowed to listen to for a number of years, this was definitely the most different thing that I had heard. Because before that, I mean, I'm listening to shit like Deliverance and Tourniquet and Early Mortification and stuff like that. And so when somebody's like, hey, have you heard Savior Machine? I'm like, no, let's check it out. I'd look at the cover and I was like, I have no idea what's going on with this like crying mask floating in space, but you know, let's try it. And uh, I didn't know what to think of the vocals. I, the first thing I thought was, my God, this guy's a really good singer. Like, and he just carries it. I love the, I love kind of the dark, gothy feel of it. This album's not nearly as dark as where they would go later. This is still pretty light, you know, like, like Jeff was saying, more new wave sounding. And uh, I really enjoyed the melodies, though, more than anything, just the overall feel. Um, you know, there's piano on this. There's, there's uh, synthesizers and things like that. And it all sounds really good. Uh, to Joe's point, too, I do think that the guitar work is a little bit off in places. And it's not even that it's bad. It's just a little too much sometimes. And uh, and that's interesting because it's that's very much in contrast to what they would later on uh, go to do. Yeah, well, that's, that's part of the new wave vibe. I mean, if you listen to a lot of the, like, Echo and the Bunnymen is the first thing that kind of pops into my head uh, on this first album. Uh, is you know similar baritone vocalist and with really cool vibrato and all that kind of jazz and cheesy guitars. I mean, you can't beat it with you know throwing some synth and piano and layered vocals. I mean, you got new wave. It's great. I I love this stuff. I, I eat it up. I was getting some anime vibes while listening to this. I wanted to run home and watch Vampire Hunter D again. Ooh, because it was Halloween after this all. This band would do great just making anime like theme songs. You know what's funny that we mentioned that because I actually did think a lot about that uh, later on, and I, I also felt that way like with when I was listening to some of the Legend stuff. I was like, man, this could actually be a JRPG soundtrack. That's actually what was going through my head. It's so funny you guys mentioned that. That's because we didn't actually talk about that part. Ahead of time. Well, it takes itself very seriously, much like a lot of that Japanese melodrama stuff does as well. So it fits. Especially the bubblegum anime. <laughs> yeah, it fits overall. Savior Machine really was doing something different in 93, I think, than what a lot of their peers were doing. And for that, I think they deserve credit because they had really cool lyrics and like this amazing stage show. Like, you know, Eric Clayton would wear makeup, you know. To his live performances and stuff and he could the dude could deliver uh, if you listen if you're listening on spotify or on uh like google music or something like that they actually have a live in germany album if there was ever any doubt in your mind that eric clayton was just doing all this through studio magic like he's not this dude is the real deal he sounds fantastic live some standout songs on this record for me was uh killer part of the killer which is about 10 minutes long, which sounds like it would drone on and on, but it really doesn't. It's actually pretty interesting. And uh, it almost gives me a little bit of an old Iron Maiden vibe. Like, it's that metal. Like, it's probably as hard as they go. Yes. And uh, I love that song. I love The Wicked Widow a lot. And there's no denying Carnival of Souls as one of the best album openers for this kind of music. Yeah, Carnival of Souls, I don't know where I've heard it 
or who introduced it to me. It seems very familiar, doesn't it? Even it sound, the first time you've heard it. Yeah, and it and I think it. I'm guessing it's probably going to go back to my Missouri Baptist days when I had a, a couple of friends that went there and I hung out with them. I'm assuming that it was probably somebody there in the 90s that showed it to me. And uh, it just, that song probably stuck and I'm just trying to figure out where the heck I got it from and that's probably. So uh, like you go in, you're like, hey, what's up guys? And you like dude, look at them out. and they're all wearing, uh, they're all wearing white makeup. And well, you're no. like, dude, what, what are you guys going? You guys going to see Kiss or something? They're like, no, fuck you. Save your machine. <laughs> well, they were mostly music majors, so it does. So they were going to see Phantom of the Opera then. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a difference? <laughs> Seriously, I'd go see Phantom of the Opera with Eric Clayton as the Phantom. Oh, yeah. Like, for sure. Now that huh? you mentioned that, I'm surprised that we haven't seen it at some point. That'd be amazing. I'd, I'd love that. Yeah, you know what else I loved? Save your machine, too. Yes, you did. I can't remember... This is the album that actually had the excerpts from uh, Carmina Burana and from, was it Bram Stoker's Dracula that they did the uh, from the, the movie clips? I I, can't, I was trying to replace it, and uh, I, I ran out of time this week to actually track down uh, which movie those uh, audio clips were taken from. I feel like it might have been Bram Stoker's Dracula. Okay, yeah, because they were but like it's put been back such back. a long time since I've seen that movie, and I've seen almost every iteration of Dracula. So some of that stuff gets mixed together for me. Right. I bet George knows. George, let us know which uh, which movie that's from because it's driving me nuts, but I just haven't had time to figure it out this week. The only real downside to this album for me is that the symphonic elements are artificial. Get five union musicians for a day and just record that, and I feel like this would be so much more impactful. But I still like it. It's basically the last album again. I disagree. I think it's like three times as good as the first album. Yeah, outside of a couple standout tracks on the first album, on one, two is better, in my opinion. Huge step up in the production department. The first album sounds kind of light to me. I don't think anything really hits hard on the first Savior Machine album. And I honestly think it's a case that the production quality was holding them back. They didn't have those kind of problems on Save Your Machine 2. And so everything sounds a lot more full. And it all sounds mixed a lot better. And to what Joe was saying about the first album, that lead guitar is kept in check better on Save Your Machine 2. Um, I do think that they do give off the same vibe, but I think musically, this is a lot more interesting. Uh, Enter the Idol great track that song like just with its really weird uh tempo like right off the top and that really carries through the song there was nothing like that on save your machine one like this was a whole different direction and it was kind of new and interesting for a band that i sometimes feel like goes on a little bit longer than they should there's a few times where i get a jam band vibe like the band just started playing that one idea that kind of sounded cool and the singer pops up and says no no just keep doing that like don't change it and then he sits there and sings for 20 minutes and then they say yeah, that's a really good idea we should work on that no no that is the song if he was like that in the old days <laughs> that might be why they were able to put out albums in a good consistent time frame you know where he was like no this sounds good let's just go with it that definitely will become a problem later on when he is never satisfied with what they have laid down on tape but i mean save your machine 2 was in my opinion probably their peak like, I feel like they took the ideas that they had on the first album and expanded on them in almost every way. And the only complaint I have about the first few Save Your Machine albums is I feel like some of them could have had some tracks left off and it would have been okay. Especially the second one. I just think as collective whole, all their albums are like at least an hour and ten minutes long. And as yeah. an album listener, man... They turned me into a fucking marathon, man. Yeah, I did a lot of driving this week, and it was like I had an hour and a half drive from here to where I was working. There's one album. Yeah, like I just, I'm like, oh, cool. I'm listening to Save Your Machine 2. And then like I pull up to the job site an hour and a half later, and I'm still listening to Save Your Machine 2. <laughs> that part I don't like about And there's this, still two though. tracks left. It's not bad. It's, it's almost directionless. Yeah, it does meander. There's no question about they that. They use a lot meander of the, is the perfect word, yeah. Jeff. Thank you very much. Yeah, they use a lot of the same vibes. Maybe uh, if we weren't 
sitting down and being critical listeners, you think we'd be more tolerable, especially of the legend stuff that's about ready to come up? I think with this band, and I'm I'm mentally preparing myself to talk about the legend stuff, (laughs) but I think there would have been more benefit to listening to the records as they were released. As Savior Machine 1 was like three years before Savior Machine 2. And then I, I think Legend was along the same time frame. There was there was a few years in between. And that's about how long I think it takes you to digest a Save Your Machine album. Like, you kind of have to have it in your rotation, listen to it every couple of months or every couple of weeks or something. Yeah, because they're and, epics. Yeah, and, and you can really just get into certain songs and ideas. Like, there's a song uh, on Save Your Machine 2 called The Stand that's like 16 minutes long. And it's a great song, but I don't want to hear that and the rest of the album. Right. You know, so it's like I have to pick one. I'm either skipping the stand and I'm listening to the rest of the album as a whole and reducing the playtime by 16 minutes, which helps a lot. You're still at, at an hour. You're still in an hour, but I'm I'm okay with an hour. I'm not okay with an hour and 16 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes, especially with what we do here on this podcast. Ain't nobody got time for that shit. Like, it is just too much. We're used to listening to albums that are like 30 to 45 minutes each. Done. Yeah, as soon as you we know? start to get over the 50-minute range, I tend to get antsy. And I'm like, how, how much longer is... <laughs> you know, that, yeah, that's, kind of, that's kind of the thought that, that pops in my head. And I'm like, how many more songs are left? I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't even look. There's like 18 fucking songs on this album. I had yeah. the same moment this week where I had... I could have sworn that an hour had gone by. And I knew these were longer records because they came out in the 90s. I'd look down and it's on track four. What the actual fuck? And I set myself up for failure. (laughs) Because this is one of the problems I have with gothic metal of this type. And anything that could be the soundtrack to anime. Gothic metal to me is not music that's epic because it's telling a story. It's kind of like music for what you're looking at. Whereas death metal would be intense and it's about the energy of what's going on in front of you and it's about somebody fucking's gonna die. Gothic metal is like, look at that castle. Look at it. Look at the cat. Look at the castle, Jeff. No, now really look at it. Now look at it. Now do you see that guy riding a horse that's half robot? Yeah, yeah, look at that. Look at him. Look at that. That's what this music feels like it's about. I don't know what they're trying to tell me because what I'm listening to is just about something. All right, Jeff, I think Joe's ready for the Camelot episode. Oh, okay. (laughs) Down with it, man. That's what it sounds like to me. With bands like this, you know, that, that you can consider as, you know, somebody droning on. Like, I love Swallow the Sun. I understand Swallow the Sun is not for everybody because they are pretentious, they meander, and they're about ready to put out a seven-hour-long record. So I get it. I love that stuff, but I don't expect everybody else to partake in my fandom because it takes it takes a special kind of someone, and it has to hit you just right. Like if you see them live or something like that, and it just kind of grabs you, and you're like, these guys are so charismatic, you know, they can't do anything wrong live. I have mad respect for them, so I'm going to listen to everything that they do. Because I actually have a couple of artists that are like that. Like I'm not a big rock guy, but Lenny Kravitz, unbelievable stage performance. Probably one of the best I've ever seen in my life. So, I mean, you never know. And I think that's kind of how it is um, on this. I, and I just it just didn't grab me personally. Well, yeah, and I think that you know the big stage production that would come along with a band like Save Your Machine, you're just sitting there, you know, maybe you're at a festival or something and, you know, some other bands have played and then this band comes out and you know, they've got the they've got the smoke machines. They've got props up on stage. Dude comes out with makeup, you know, bald head. He's got makeup all over his whole face and he's got like blood, you know, dripping down, you know, from his eyes and shit. And he sings this well and it's like so orchestrated and so well planned and perfect in every way all you can go away with is I just witnessed greatness on stage you know like this is like the the hype and the vibe and all of it works so well with the music that they produce that it just I, I can understand how this band 
could probably today, we could go see this band today and be like, hell yeah. Man, maybe we were a little harsh on those legend albums. You know, like, honestly. That's how I was with Lenny Kravitz whenever I, I, I saw him live. I was, you know, I got free tickets and I'm like, well, it's a show. It's got to be the only reason people like Mushroom Head. Anyway, I digress. I digress. Yeah. But no, uh, it, 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 he as opposed to degrees. he hit me, and I and I was a huge fan. And I looked back, and I'm like, maybe I was a little too tough on his music. And I started listening to it, started getting to the deep tracks on Mama Said, and I was became a huge fan. History has shown, though, anybody can be presented wrong. How many times is a band that's not a pop band presented like the next pop band? Like some forty one isn't just straight thrash metal. Right. It's kind of funny with some forty one, which we'll talk about on an episode we do with him later. So here's a ten second preview. You wouldn't expect a band like some forty one to play metal, but they do, and they're really good at it. No, they're fa- fantastic at it. Yeah. I mean, also my ten seconds. Listen to Brown Brigade, which was kind of like the spinoff. Yeah. That's fantastic as well. Uh, but how this refers to Savior Machine is the presentation is spot on. Right. You know, like you're like, this is the greatest thing that I've ever heard. And you also have to put this under the microscope of it being Christian music. This is not something that was well received. There was actually a concert a while back where the Christians were so unsettled by Savior Machine's music that they shut them down. Like they really? went on stage to play. And the venue was just, they just pulled the plug. <laughs> they literally pulled the plug and forced the band off the stage. Thank you for the hype. Because the makeup and the presentation and the blood and the lyrics and all that stuff just really left a bad taste in some conservative Christians' mouths. You mean like a gothic play? Kind of like that, yeah. And the funny thing about Savior Machine and something I thought really made them stand out on the early albums was the lyrics could be interpreted a multitude of different ways. You know, they had songs like Christians and Lunatics. They had a song called uh, Killer. They had the, and even The Stand, um, those songs aren't necessarily like Jesus, 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 Jesus. They are very dark songs about human nature, and they are ambiguous. That was the word I was going to use. Yeah, anybody can listen to it and say, I mean, obviously you get to the end of Savior Machine 1, and they're like, Jesus Christ, we found blah, blah, you know, and that's fine. But it doesn't take away the impact of what those ly- original lyrics were. And I think as an ambiguous band, they made Christians uncomfortable, but they were maybe a little bit too Christian for people that weren't into Christianity. So those songs really helped out a lot in establishing the band as their own artistic expression and not necessarily just trying to sell your religion, which is something I'm going to revisit in a little while. So what's the difference between being an ambiguous band and a generic band? from a lyric standpoint. Well, I think the lyrics are still really interesting. Because you could interpret both scenarios many different ways. Well, generic can still be blunt. Well, generic, I think, is is just... blunt. Yeah, generic is more unoriginal for me. Either you're copying what somebody else is doing, or your lyrics are so metaphorical that they don't mean anything. And I don't think that's the case with Save Your Machine at all. I think the songs are concise. I think they're original but they're ambiguous. You could pull your own interpretation out of any of those songs. Can't that be a bad thing, though? It can be, I guess, if you only listen to music with a certain expectation. I definitely try hard to not come in with an expectation in mind. But even if it comes off of something negative, you now have a talking point. Right. And that's kind of... You can go talk about it on your music podcast when you're done. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's kind of our point. That's why we exist. Yeah, and so... Right now, none of it's a bad thing. And then the Legend trilogy starts. Hey, I don't know what anyone's talking about. That movie Legend with Tom Cruise and Tim Curry, and he's that giant devil guy who's called Darkness. Dude, you forgot Mia Sarah. That's the best part of the whole movie. getting to Mia Sarah. (laughs) And Meg, thank you very much. Don't talk about my girlfriend like that. Mia Sarah's your girlfriend? (laughs) Meg. Oh. (laughs) Oh, man. That is a good movie. It is a fantastic movie. I wish we were actually talking about that. (laughs) (laughs) From here on out, yeah, We've been praising the band pretty consistently since we started because they were worth it. They were great. Not anymore. The Legend Part 1. And you're already like, damn, I just spent 20 bucks because this is like still the 90s, so 
your rec- the album's going to cost 20 bucks. 14.99. Maybe. 17.13 with tax. I used to pay 18.95 for CDs brand new at Best Buy. Do you think you could find this at Best Buy? You might have been able to. Back really? Then. Back in 97? Yeah. I'd say so. You'd have to order it. Special like order you'd have it. to find a an employee and be like I really want to save your machine legend part 1. And people probably said that back with part 1. Hey, Dan, let's, let's check out the Sam Goody, see if they have Save Your Machine. Hey, here's Jeff at Sam Goody. He's got what we're looking for. All yeah, right. If not, I can order it. Yeah, absolutely he can. How much is that going to cost me? Uh, since my Sam Goody's not in a mall, not as expensive as the rest of the Sam Goody's. I was in a strip mall instead of in a regular old-fashioned mall. Sweet. So I would, say se- really- I would say $17.99. We're trying really hard not to talk about this album. <laughs> um, they had the gothic atmosphere before. But I still considered them at that time to be more of a guitar rock driven band. Legend starts off with a song called Overture. And it's just, we're in like fucking Ben Hur or something. No, no, no. no, Do not shit on Ben Hur. I'm not shitting on Ben Hur. I love Ben Hur. Ben Hur's great, but it's not like a rock album. I, either so if you give me a choice between a rock album and ben hur i'm probably going to choose ben hur so this is definitely not ben hur for me well that's fine but what i'm trying to say is that i know i'm just messing with this you. doesn't impact like carnival souls did it doesn't even impact like save your machine one did on save your machine two this band's really confusing when it comes to labeling shit because like you have save your machine one the album save your machine two the album with a but song that called album starts save your with machine save your one. machine one and then ends with save your machine two and then we're going to get into, like, Legend Part 1, Legend Part 2, then Legend Part 3, Part 1, and it's just... Oh, don't forget you got songs like Legend 1, 1, and then Legend 1, 2. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like, okay. An Remember hour what we said about Ambiguous. Minutes. An hour and 17 minutes. And you know how we were talking about ambiguous lyrics? It's pretty clear that the Legend trilogy is about the end of the world. End times. From a very very staunchly Christian perspective. And this is where the ambiguity that I liked about the band really takes a back seat. Yep. We're like done. straight up reading out of the book of Revelation here. Yeah, well, since we're talking about that, I and I said End Times, there's a great YouTube channel for uh, anybody that wants to see like crazy Christian conspiracy crap. It's called Third Eagle the Apocalypse. And you can listen to Saber Machine Legend Part 1 while you watch watch it. it, And it is fantastic. Is this a rock opera? It's supposed to be. Is it it trying to be? This guy sat down, listened to Flash Gordon, or watched it, depending on what you had in your library at the time, and said, I could do that. Flash. <laughs> Perfect. That's that's if that's not if that doesn't stay in the podcast, I'll be very upset. <laughs> Two guys that actually know what falsetto is. I guess it's just. I don't, you know, it's that's not a, that, that it doesn't sound like Savior Machine. Well, yeah, because his especially voice is, on this one, I think this still carries over a little bit from two. This is probably the best album out of the Legend trilogy. You know, the four album trilogy. Yeah, but that's not hard to do. <laughs> it's not hard to do, but keep in mind those albums didn't exist yet. So this just taken purely on its own laurels is pretty cool. I mean, the Eye of the Storm is a cool song. I'm just I'm thinking, really, really stretching to find more. Yeah, well, that's um, the biggest challenge is, um, you know, we're almost at a loss for words because it's just like... I've definitely fallen asleep a few times trying to listen to these. Yeah, that's, that's exactly where I was at, especially on... Um, on Legend 3 Part 2 or whatever the hell it is, there's a spot in there that I almost fell asleep and then something that was a whoopsie woke me up and thought it was kind of funny. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, but this, I think this guy in his mind was thinking, I'm going to sell out stadiums and people are going to have their lighters out and waving them back and forth. But About the end of the world. About the end of the world. See, that works really good when you're singing songs about like, I loved her, but she was a bitch, and now I'm better off. You know, like, that works really well. Talking about generic lyrics. This is not generic, but it's not ambiguous either. And I think this firmly roots the band. Like, you listen to Save Your... You hear a couple of songs by Save Your Machine, and then let's say you go out and you buy this as the first release, and it kind of confirms what you already thought about Christian music. 
where it's like, man, these guys have a pretty interesting sound, but they don't know what to do with it. And I think that is the biggest issue with the Legend Trilogy is it's trying to take a sound that we discussed earlier was a little bit more meandering and a little bit more about a vibe. But now you're trying to craft it into this very specific type of concept that you're trying to portray. And I don't think it really works as well as maybe people think it works or the band thinks it works. And so I thought Legend Part 1 was okay. And then Legend Part 2 I actually got for free uh, from a radio station that me and Buddy were doing a show for. I I ended up getting a copy of uh, Legend Part 2. And this is even more rock opera. Really, there's really no other nice way to put it. It's up its own ass. Like, it really is. Like... There's a lot more opera than rock. There's yeah, not. and it's not that it's not that Eric Clayton can't pull it off as a singer. He can pull it off, but I don't know if opera is the right sound for him. I think his voice can be described as operatic, but to sustain another like 120 minute album, it's just almost asking a little too much from the listener, and I get tired of hearing it. After like, because if these albums were condensed down, like I said, to about 40 minutes each, they might be more enjoyable because it's just hitting on the key points. But the meandering is still there, but now it's being sold to us as if it's something intentional. And it just kind of drones on and on and on. And again, like I said earlier, this may have been more tolerable if you were listening to the releases consecutively as they were released um, over time. There is a lot to unpack in these albums, and maybe we're just missing it. Well, I, let me. But put it, it's hard to just sit down and listen for this long. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it this way: on my second listen through, two minutes in, there's another seven minutes of the song. Skip. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I did that more on these last three albums than I think I have on any other episode that we've done. Well, we were saying that on the first two, even that we had issues with that, but we at least liked those. You know, like they were still interesting enough, but like it again. It's like it's like some of the worst aspects of power metal sometimes, where you're like trying to listen to this album, but like you're getting constantly interrupted by the concept, like just so much like spoken word going on, where it's like ha ha ha, and then I'm going to tell you this thing that happened, and then these people went to this place, and then the Antichrist, and then well said by the way, he gets interrupted a- by the concept. Yeah, all the time. Like, it just pulls you out of it. Initially, I liked The Legend Part 1 more than the second record, not because it sounded better, but it took that sound that had been repeated over two records and did something different with it. And all I thought was, if we could bring the production value a little bit up, like we did on the last album, and bring the symphony or the... Synthony, as I'm going to call it, because none of this is real. The Synthony. (laughs) I love it. I love it, too. That needs to go on a shirt, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Synthony X. I'm in a synthetic metal band. Ooh, Jeff. We got an idea there. (laughs) I wanted less of the fake and more of the real, because that's why I don't listen to gothic metal. It's mainly a guy with a keyboard and a computer. And then he has an actual band. Didn't we just explain the last three albums here? (laughs) Yeah, we, I think I think that pretty much sums it up, dude. A guy with a keyboard and, like, some friends that stop by every now and again and drop some guitar lines in and, you know, oh, that hey, dude. sort of stuff. You, uh, you got that track done? You want me to lay something down for you? Well, I think Legend 1 came out, and it was like, this is great. And then by the time you start getting into Legend Part 2 and 3, it's like, what would you guys think of that other record? Oh, it was great. Yeah, well, the next one's going to be even bigger. Bigger, bigger, more, more. Like, there's so many simultaneous audio tracks going on in each song that after a while it starts sounding completely unbelievable. And I think that once you're just, like, balls deep in it, like you're creating it, and you're just more and more and more and more, bigger, 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 I think sometimes you start getting so enraptured with the vibe of all of it that you kind of start losing focus of what you're actually here to do. You're not saying anything. You're creating a vibe. You're creating a vibe. And again, we said that that was a little bit of a detriment on the first two Save Your Machine albums, but it was reined in. It is not reined in because 
and I think something Joe says all the time is that it sounded like a band on the first two albums, and even on Legend Part 1, it sounds still like a band, but you start getting into Legend Part 2 and Legend Part 3, 1, and you're like, this sounds like one dude is calling all the shots and has a very specific vision of what he wants to accomplish. And I know that there are people out there that love these albums, and I do think that they put off kind of a cool end-of-the-world vibe, but I'm having trouble understanding why you can't write a concept record about the end of the world in an hour and 20 minutes, and you just call it Save Your Machine Legend, and then move on to the next thing. Yeah, instead of having almost five hours of it. Yeah, because, like, I mean, I take issue, you know, like, I like the Harry Potter movies. Did Deathly Hallows really have to be two movies? Yes. They couldn't have just made one long movie? Nope. I was happy they did that. They were able to keep more of the book in it because of it. But I might be in the minority because of that. I love the books. I read the books well before I watched the movies. Well, I'm just saying that, like, it bothers me, like, it, like in Star Wars. Let's say, you know, we get to episode nine, and they're like, well, this is episode nine point, this is 9.0, and the next one is 9.5. Like, just keep extending it out, extending it out. So we can have more Death Stars. Right, and so I just don't think that it works with a band like this because you're talking about the end of the world, but the world won't end. It's like the it's like the land before time, you know. Like you I think can't. Like, time is time ever going to start, guys? Yeah, I know. You know, like you're 19 movies in now. Like, I mean, when's time going to start? I think this dude's in denial. Well, we're going to get into that because Legend Part Three One was pretty much officially the band's last album and again oh you guys liked that you liked legend part three part one no the next one's gonna be even better it's gonna be bigger and better and it's it's like it's like trying to build a gigantic castle and just you keep adding rooms to it over and over and over until it just becomes so big that you get lost and eventually die like you die building the castle because you could never get out of it you made it into such a huge labyrinth of, of rooms and doors and that that's how i feel about the legend trilogy is that it's like you've built up this huge thing in your mind but it's actually a detriment to you because eventually you're going to want to go so big that you can't anymore. Not only do you have this massive castle with a labyrinth of rooms, the biggest problem is this, this fucking castle is built on sand. It's built on a vibe. Yeah, it's built on, a, on sand. It's built in denial. You know at this point that it's a bad idea, but you've invested so much time and so much effort, you're just going to, instead of just starting from scratch and doing it right, you're just going to keep adding to the mistake because you think if you keep adding to it, it'll eventually get better and it'll write itself. And that's not the case on these albums. Because I'm so burned out by the concept. I was complaining about getting interrupted by the concept back in Legend Part 2. And now you're like, well, now you've got at least this much to go. It's kind of like being at work. And you're like, okay, I get off at 3 o'clock. And then the boss is like, hey, going to need you to stay till 5.30. And you're like, okay. And then 5.30 rolls around and, like, the building's dark and, like, you're the only one there. And you're like, oh, I guess I'm going to go ahead and leave. And then the boss stands at the doorway and goes, where the hell do you think you're going? Well, you said 5.30. Going to need you to stay till tomorrow morning. Like, that's what this feels like. It's like, oh, okay, are we, are we done yet? Is the world ended? Has Jesus come back now and saved? Because that's your whole point, right? The world's a fucked up place. They wrote the book of Revelation, you know, as part of the Bible. And Jesus is eventually going to come back and take all the people that are saved and send all the people that aren't saved to hell. Like, that's your concept? And I just summed up your concept in, like, what, 23 seconds? Another way to look at that and is you guys, how long does it take you to actually read the book of Revelation? Oh, man. I, I, I think they actually wrote the book of Revelations faster than he wrote the last four albums. So, like, well, what are we thinking? 120 minutes times four? Yeah, that's 82 minutes times four divided by six. So that's 480 minutes. Do you think, Dan, reader of books, that you can read the eight book hours. of Revelation in less than eight hours? I think I could probably handle it. Doesn't that mean then he's doing it wrong? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
so it's bigger and better, bigger and better, bigger and better, bigger and better, saying it's like gonna, the next album's going to be perfect. It's going to sum it all up. All of our wildest dreams are going to get are going to come true. All the listeners are going to go to heaven instantly after they hear this. And everybody also gets a million dollars just by listening to this album. Like, that's almost the type of hype that this record had going for it, at least in his mind. But then just years went by. Senile. Years went by and there was no album. And then some more years went by and there was no album. And he kept being like, no, it's great. It's great. It's great. Buy my t-shirts. It's great. It's going to come out. I promise. Yes. It's just that that it takes so long. Yeah. And that works the first couple of times. Like he sings you a little (laughs) song. You're like, okay, it's all going to be okay. Or he shows you like a 10 second clip of what he's working on. And you're like, well, that sounds pretty good because it's only 10 seconds and not an hour. 17 minutes. Long song. Correct. Reminds me of when Trans-Siberian Orchestra released Night Castle. But he literally waited so long to produce an album that the record label started being like, Eric, dude, where's this album? Like, we need it to come out like two years ago. And I think every time they would say that, he'd be like, I just need more money. It's got to be bigger. It's got to be better. It's got to be greater. I got to have more money. It's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be great. And I, and I legitimately believe that he spent all that time working on the album, that he probably had that fucker done in like a year and was just like, no, it's not good enough. I gotta get. I gotta make it better. I gotta make it bigger. It's gotta be better than Legend Part Three, Part One. Eventually, the record label's like, dude, we need a return on our investment. Like, we this record's got to come out in some form. We can't just have we we can't just sit there and meander and let him take our money and never give us anything back in return. That's not how this this is not how this deal works. The record label takes all the demos from Legend Part 3, Part 2, and cobbles together a release. They they take it all. They have independent engineers come in and cut all the vocal takes, all the guitar, you know, the the synths, everything. They cobble it all together into, like, what, an 18-track album or a 17-track album, and they just put it out as Legend Part 3, Part 2. Wow. How do you think he felt on Tuesday? I know exactly how he felt. And I'm going to read you exactly how he felt. Where is this from? Well, this is from the official Savior Machine website that is no longer up anymore. But there's this amazing website called the Wayback Machine. Archive.org saves the day. And I was able to pull up Eric Clayton's original statements on this release. This CD has been illegally produced slash manufactured. It is, in fact, a fraud, a crime against you, the consumer. Laughter separates us from despair and gives us the ability to love. Quoted as unknown. I guess that was okay back in 2011, but it's kind of not okay to, to just you know give quotes and no credits. Anyway, Eric says, Hello, friends. If you're reading this, I'll assume you're truly interested in knowing the facts about this unauthorized release, calling itself Legend Part 3 part two if you've already purchased a copy of this monstrosity my heart truly goes out to you i wish there was some way i could take it back but you'll have to ask the producers and manufacturers of this bootleg for a refund if you'd like one yes that was a not so very subtle suggestion to demand your money back this is only a basic outline of a far more detailed nuanced and complicated story most, almost all of the full background background behind this current situation is covered with extensive detail in my recently published book. Cha-ching! To avoid this statement becoming a novel itself. I'll have to encourage you to read my collective journals sometime if you're already interested in the full complexities of the background. So without further ado, here are the basic facts about this particular CD release. MCM Music and Massacre Records have manufactured slash released a version of Part 3-2 this version is a more of a compilation of what I consider to be random outtakes and demo recordings from 2004. This CD is grossly incomplete and unrepresentative of what 3-2 actually sounds like today. What I can deduce from this CD is the following. MCM and or Massacre Records decided to hire a few very bad engineers to go through hundreds of takes from recordings I did in Sweden in spring of 2004. These unknown engineers chose some takes 
tried to put something together and attempted to mix something out of it. Basically, recordings from 2004 have evolved into demo recordings as far as I am concerned. Since those sessions, I have re-recorded almost everything. I have more than 7,000 hours recorded choosing final takes and edits. This CD is not 3-2, not even close. It is so incomplete, it is difficult to even call it a demo. Some of what was recorded in Sweden is actually being used on the real album. About 45% of the guitars recorded will be on the album. About 35% of the drums Thomas recorded will be used. Only 30% of the vocals I recorded will be used. And not a single vocal you hear on this CD is the actual vocals I've chosen. Here's a fairly comprehensive list of technical facts all Savior Machine fans should know. Now, I'm not going to read all of these, but the one that's the most interesting to me is one that has a uh, joke vocal take. He goes, the vocals they choose and attempted to edit were done so poorly, there's actually a joke vocal which they missed and failed to edit out. <laughs> it takes place on the song the Final, Re the Final Rebellion. To explain, after botching a vocal take at the end of a line, I yelled, Yeehaw! Giddy up, Satan! Come on now! This was my way of letting the guitarist know to stop the take. I have made a mistake in the lyric, and this should give you an idea of the severe lack of attention to detail during their editing process. It is a joke. <laughs> Tell me, how bad of an engineer do you have to be to completely miss a joke vocal and leave it in the final mix? To me, the moment slash occurrence is the perfect example of how badly the CD was thrown together and just how poorly it was produced. This accident is actually my favorite moment on the entire CD. It's hilarious, and it's just one hilarious moment of many. Now, there's a lot more to this than what I just read. If you want to read all of it, we're going to link it in the show notes for you guys to check out. It is a pretty interesting story. I'm going to stop you there and say vocal takes that I did back in 2004. When was that published? 2011. So for seven years, you've been sitting on a finished album? He says it's not finished. What the fuck have you been doing for seven years? <laughs> he says... Dude, if you... We're laughing because here, we just heard the yeehaw. We heard the giddy up Satan. <laughs> yeehaw. 7,000 takes? 7,000 hours. That's like, There's no way that's a real number. I believe one of the things that you should do more of is... Sing it again. Sing it again. Get frustrated. Do something creative that has energy, that has some lack of thought behind it. It's missing in modern music. But 7,000 hours? Jeff, do some fast math, please, and tell me how many days of your life that would be to comb through. And then think about how it took that much time just to record it. What are you doing? Did you wake up every day for a year straight and sing your album and then say, I'm going to go back and listen to all of it and pick the best ones? I can't get seven years here. It's got to be well, bigger hold, and better, Joe. Well, let me put it this way. 7,000 hours is almost 292 days. Straight. So that's almost straight. a year. Now let's multiply that by three and turn that into how many eight-hour days would it take? You know, like a actual job it's uh, 875 days so three years of your life working seven days a week and now you're gonna comb over it and find the good ones dan what am i doing wrong i think he already did comb over it i think what eric's trying to tell us in this long rant because it's a rant i got fucked i got fucked over i took a really long time to record this album but i did it for you the listener. I did it all for you. I did it all for the money. I mean, I did it all for you. He's doing it for us, right? The listener. The guys that loved Legend Part 1 and Part 2 and Part 3 Part 1. I mean, I don't know who those people are, but I do know they exist. They're somewhere. I'm sure there are people that just eat up everything that, that they do, and that's totally fine. This is too much, dude. Like, it shouldn't take you this many years to put on an album because if this is on the same level as legend part three part one you didn't seem to have this much trouble putting that one out or legend part two or legend part one so why what is it that is so special about this release like i understand artistically you always want to do better you just always want to strive to do something that is bigger and better than what you've done before 
But the problem is, is that this is too long. If you're fans that are sitting there with bated breath to wait this many years for the second part of an album, not a new album, not a new concept. This is the end of the trilogy. And he even goes on to mention in his rant that Legend 3 Part 2 has now actually expanded to two discs worth of music. And we all know that Eric likes to fill up the whole fucking disc. So if he's telling you it's two discs long, you're looking at probably 240 minutes worth of audio. I feel the same way about what you just said as I feel about Peter Jackson turning The Hobbit into three movies. You take the shortest book that was written by the author and turn it into three movies. To quote Tolkien himself, I feel like butter being stretched across too much bread. Scraped. Scraped. Okay. So, like, (laughs) it just doesn't work. Is the record label wrong for wanting a return on their investment? I mean, I, I don't agree with what they did because this is just pure shit. What they released is literally shit. He's not wrong about that. I There's got to be some behind-the-scenes stuff going on. And that actually kind of hits on a little bit on what I wanted to talk about. You know, I don't think we know the whole story. Who Who's to say that he wasn't slow playing it because he wasn't happy with the, the contract or he was wanting to renegotiate and he didn't like, you know, how little of his, you know, IP he was going to have when it was all said and done. I mean, I don't know if he's, you know, quite literally signed his soul away, you know, to make these albums with them. Who knows? I, I mean, I'm sure there's somebody out there that can give that answer. But stuff like that does happen in the mu- music industry. I mean, sometimes stuff ends up on the shelf and you never see the light of day because uh, there is disagreements and the... Uh, artists will just stop working with the record label because they're like, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, it could have been something similar and it could have been the record labels like, well, we're not the big boys. We got to make something. Otherwise we're going to go under. So guys, we don't have an engineering budget because we've blown it waiting for this dude to get us and, you know, get us stuff for the last seven years just do the best you can and in the shortest amount of time as possible and put it out there and maybe we can recoup a little bit of what we've, you know, the massive amount of money that we've lost because we've invested literally years, almost an entire decade, waiting for this album to come out. Right, and I think up up to that point, Save Your Machine had probably been a pretty well-selling, a pretty good-selling band for them. You know, uh, I know Massacre Records put out a lot of goth type stuff and save your machine was definitely right in the pocket there and uh you know they put out such a huge concept and with what eric was saying they're like dude we put all of our money into this new record it's going to be a slam dunk you know we're going to do great and then just more time passes and then he says hey i really want this record to be a slam dunk i need more money they send him more money and he's like okay great Mm, two years go by I'm not really sure about this, guys. I I think I need a little bit more money just to make it that much more perfect. And they're like, okay, let me get out the old checkbook. And then then the third time he does it, six years have passed. And it's like, um, dude, we're not giving you any more money. We want an album. I was really excited whenever you called me today because I thought you were going to tell me, it's done. But that's not what you're asking. You're asking me to give you more money and we've lost money. We haven't heard anything. We have these demos that you sent us in 2004, which you told you told us we're going to turn into the actual songs. What do we do with that? I get where both parties are coming from because I definitely want to side with the artist a lot of the time. The artist has a better vision of what he's doing than the record label has, no matter what. I don't want to work for free either. And I kind of feel like this record label was essentially working for free. Not even free, working at a debt because they'd already paid in. So I feel like everybody was getting screwed in this deal. So they kind of just did what they had to do. If you think about it from their perspective, even Metallica has a deadline. What have you been doing for seven years? Well, when the Deftones put out their follow-up to White Pony, the the Deftones self-titled, the band was fined a million dollars for delivering the album late. Now, I realize that was with a major, 
and obviously MCM and Massacre are not a major. This is just an asinine amount of time to wait for a record, and you've got a guy that is super artistic that just won't let it go. He's George Lucasing the shit out of this product. That's and it hasn't a good even, way to say yeah, it. And it hasn't even been released yet. So they did what they had to do. And honestly, the album is pure garbage. It doesn't sound good. The, the vocals are out of key in a lot of places. Um, it's definitely the worst sounding Savior Machine product to ever be released and is not even really acknowledged by the band as an official release. And um, here we are in 2018. Here we are and in 2018. We still don't have it. We don't have it, and we're not going to get it because Eric Clayton basically said, "We're done." He disbanded the band, and that was all we heard from Savior Machine. Except now they've come back in 2017. They played some. They played some shows. They are doing stuff, and Eric has pretty much said, "We're going to record a new album." It's not going to be Legend Part 3, Part 2. Yay. And that makes me so happy. Because now he's starting to be like, you know what? This whole situation is just bad juju. Maybe we need to just get back to the basics of being a band and recording an album that we like. And honestly, I hope that it is. I hope that it's not in the vein of the Legend stuff. I think the smartest thing that this band could do at this point, release an album of individual songs that they worked hard on, not necessarily tie them together with an overall concept and call it Savior Machine 3 and we'll move on. That we'll get in nine years. Maybe. <laughs> but maybe not. Who knows? Who knows when Eric actually scrapped the Legend 3 Part 2 concept? He could have been out before he even wrote that rant. Right. I don't know the full extent of it. And again, we don't know a lot of the stuff going on behind the scenes. I don't think that he's a bad dude. I just think that he got himself into a situation that became so much bigger than he was. And I believe there were also some medical issues at play. Yeah, he had some esophageal issues. Which makes it hard to record perfect vocal takes, which is what he wants. And yes. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, there's your explanation. Final thoughts on Savior Machine. Jeff? Started out good. I thought this was the machine that was going to save me. Nope. It's another broken down robot, man. End of this just was so bad so 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 bad i can't even put into words other than the fact that i you know everybody knows me i listen to it cover to cover whenever i do these reviews and i hit the skip button in the double digits on the second go around that on this on the legend stuff savior one uh, savior machine one and two is actually really good but the legend stuff was horrid damn what about you yeah i mean like what jeff said very good start they had a good vibe to them i liked the way the first two albums sounded and i was interested at that point to hear more after i heard the first two especially because of the massive improvement between the first and the second record but the band did not grow exponentially like they did between those records and again i think that you just have a guy that got maybe too big for his britches and was just trying to deliver something that was ultimately impossible to deliver. And uh, only time will tell if he's going to make good on that promise and release it or if he's just going to move on. Personally, I hope that he moves on and doesn't try to go back to this concept because, like we said on the episode, it's not re it wasn't really working anyway. You said the band didn't grow after those first two albums. And I agree. That, to me, is the real tragedy of the band. For a moment on Legend Part 1, I felt like they were going somewhere. And then they didn't. And they kind of went downhill because the production started to shift to the epic and the symphonic and the synthetic. And that doesn't do it for me. I know there's an audience for it, I know a lot of people that listen to gothic metal or gothic rock, operatic metal, whatever you want to call it, and unfortunately, most of them listen to it in the background. They don't really focus on it. So the style does not appeal to me day to day. I do like it. I just wish this band could have done more 
when they started to progress. Well said. Jeff, what's your album of the week? It is uh, Aphotic by November's Doom. Love that stuff. Dan, what about you? Untitled by Me Without You. Jeff mentioned it earlier. I got a Bowie vibe out of this. So I listened to The Man Who Sold the World after almost every album. So that's my album of the week. Something else I've been checking out lately is this awesome YouTube show called Good Company with Scott Bowling. Scott Bowling is a huge friend of our show. However, he became our friend after I got into his YouTube series and we reached out to him at the 2018 Rock and Pot Expo in Nashville. Scott was good enough to do an interview with us, came back and did an episode with Bride on us. But if you haven't checked out Good Company on YouTube, you need to. Super high quality, high definition video interviews. Scott has the guys come out to his place. They record. He has had Brian Head Welch from Corn. He has had Sonny from POD. He had Michael Sweet from Striper. These are long form interviews, and he goes through all the albums. Lejean from Seven Dust. Lejean from Seven Dust. He goes through all the albums, which is something that we here at Discography Discussion very much appreciate. And you would be doing yourself a disservice if you didn't check out Good Company with Scott Bowling. And on that note, this has been episode 89 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion, and please send questions and comments to Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at Patreon.com forward slash DiscussMetal. We have some sweet perks. Give me your money.